here I was at a place that I thought I wanted to be, doing what I thought I wanted to do. And despite that, I felt that restless, lonely, dissatisfied feeling. And that's when I made a shift in direction. Hi, and welcome to the Venture Life Podcast, the show where we talk about what it's really like to pursue your passion and how to live your life like a story worth sharing. I'm your host, Riley McGee, and this is episode number eight with Bert Geiges. And before we talk about today's guest, uh, I'd like to say to all the first-time listeners, welcome. And if you've been around for a while, then welcome back. And I also, I just want to say thank you to those who have left a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, I love getting those and reading those, seeing those. Uh, But if you are a return listener and you haven't left a rating or review yet, you have my official permission to go ahead and do that. It really makes a huge difference in helping others to find the show, and it means a lot to me to get your feedback as well. But let's talk about Bert Geiges. Bert is a bit of a legend in the sports psychology field, and for those who don't know, that is my background. Those are my roots. I went to Springfield College to get my master's in the athletic counseling program. And there is this quote I stumbled across that I have to read to you. It comes from an audience member attending the annual meeting for the National Conference at the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. And (laughs) after demonstrating a sports psych consultation, Bert that is, the audience member stated, now I understand what my wife meant about how to listen. (laughs) Bert Geiges is someone I originally heard being referred to as Yoda at a sports psych conference. He got his MD in 1948 from the NYU College of Medicine, where he graduated first in his class, and then he was later elected as the president of the Honor Medical Society chapter. Not only that, he's also a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychological Association And he's a past president of the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. I know, it's a mouthful. (laughs) He's had three distinct careers as a physician and medical researcher, as a psychiatrist, and finally as a sports psych practitioner, which he is still dabbling in today, even into his early 90s. If you've ever felt like it's too late to get something started, this might be the episode for you. Without further ado... I introduce to you Bert Geiges. So, Bert, welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's first of all, I have to say it's an honor to, to have you on. Uh, I know that um, we met. Uh, well, we we met up again recently, but I think we first met. It was probably four or five years ago, 2015, I think it was. I'm not sure you even remember. I was just one of the students that you met at Springfield College. uh, And I remember being very impressed with all of your wisdom and your knowledge. And hopefully we can capture some of that here today for everybody that's that's listening. Thank you. So I actually, I want to, uh, I want to start off by, by asking you, you know, your, the present moment is something that's very important for you and for someone who's seemingly always in in the present I'm going to ask if we can actually spend some time reflecting back on your journey and to talk about kind of what your path from the past to the present 
traversing you know three distinct careers. You were a physician, a psychiatrist, and then a, and then you got into sports psychology. But before we get into that, I want to ask how you're doing today. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Good. So to begin, uh, can you just can you take us back? to the start of your career, to the start of everything. When you first started out, you became a doctor. What, what led you to become, to, to want to become even a medical doctor? Actually, it was in 19, in the 1940s, there was a doctor draft, and that was part of my consideration to go to medical school so that I could pursue my education. So it was during the World War II days that you were able to kind of skip out on, on being drafted and, and you were able to continue your education as a student. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but why, but why, being, why medical school? Why not something else? What, what, what led you there? Uh, I think I was influenced by my own personal history in terms of getting some psychological help for myself. So psychiatry seemed like one possible path to be able to get some personal help. Okay, so it seems like there is always some interest in in the psychological bits, even though you started out as a physician, though. Right. Gotcha. So, and I think it it was early on in your career that you were, so you were a medical researcher. I think you were researching liver disease. Is that right? Yeah, I started out in medical research, actually, and uh, found that when I was in a place that I thought I wanted to be, I wasn't satisfied. And, And that's when I shifted my emphasis from research to, uh, personal psychoanalysis so that the the place you wanted to be that was that was in medical research i'm assuming is what you're referring to initially yes okay and and i think it was it was if i remember right it was the rockefeller institute that you were doing yes. medical research that's for right. and that's in new york and at the by that time you were i think you were married and you had two two daughters yeah that's right and yet i remember having read that you were experiencing loneliness and anxiety and so you decided to go to therapy and it seems like that that that's something clicked because i think that's about the time that you're referring to when you decided to pursue psychiatry and to become a psychiatrist right uh although my direction was psychiatry my interest was really psychology by that i mean I wasn't so much interested in treating mental disease as I was in exploring what the origins of our difficulties are and how to deal with it. Do you think you knew that at the time, though? Good question. No, I don't think I knew that at the time. I think it evolved, and then in looking back, I realized that my interest was mainly the psychology rather than the psychiatry so you start so you were a, a medical researcher and then you you you'd said that 
you know, you were feeling kind of lonely and anxiety. And you, it seemed like the psychological aspects that were kind of drawing you into to psychiatry, even if you didn't fully understand that at the time. Yeah. But how, how did you like what made you what made you decide to to switch things up and to pursue a new career? You said you felt kind of unsatisfied. Can you can you take us back to what you were experiencing and what made you decide to pull the trigger? Um, let me think. I remember when I was at the Rockefeller Institute, I was doing some research. And here I was at a place that I thought I wanted to be, doing what I thought I wanted to do. And despite that, I felt that restless, lonely, dissatisfied feeling. And that's when I made a shift in direction. It seems like that restlessness, was that, was that difficult to deal with at the time? Uh, it was scary. Um, I remember talking to my friend and colleague and brother, and it was scary to make the switch, but I'm glad I did. Yeah, I guess uh, looking back, it's always a little bit easier to see uh, with with uh, what the hindsight bias, right? To 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 make sense of a uh, of our past from from where we are today. But so I guess we'll, moving forward into you know, so you were wrapping up your career as a physician, and how long did you spend in that career as medical researcher and physician? Well, I graduated med school in '48, and I switched to psychiatry in 57. And during that time, uh, I was doing research, I was in an analytic treatment. So you spent about a decade in the medical field, and then right. you moved into psychiatry. And right. so I heard you say that you were really more interested in the psych- psychological aspects rather than the medical components. That's correct. Considering you were previously trained as a physician. Did your interest in in psychology come as a surprise to you? Were you, were you was that shocking to you at all? No, I, I kind of felt more at home there. And uh, so I wasn't surprised. That's I'm sure that was really comforting to to feel at home after having felt kind of restless and, and uneasy in a career for so long for, you know, almost a decade. But even still, were you, were you nervous at all that your interests were pulling you away from something that you had originally studied and spent time going to school for? It wasn't a problem. I didn't feel like I was pulling away as much as going toward. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, if you're in a in one place and you're going to make a change, it makes a difference whether you experience that change as a loss or a gain. I viewed it as a gain, as a going towards something I wanted rather than going away from something I wanted. Yeah, so it seems much more about kind of moving forward and stepping up rather than like losing out or, or having wasted wasted in your time. Exactly. So you're moving into psychiatry. You said that, you know, you started feeling kind of, again, 
even in this field, it seems like even though you felt at home originally, you got to a point where you had written a a chapter uh, that you shared with me. And I I read that you described having, again, a sense of restlessness and staleness. Uh, I think the words you used were diminished aliveness. And so you shifted your approach um, in psychiatry to get more involved with, with running groups. And yeah, it seemed like that's something you went through before in your previous career. And now it's something you're running up against again. So can you walk us through kind of what you were experiencing at that time of life and where those feelings were coming from again? As a matter of fact, as I look back on my career, I noticed that about every 10 or 12 years, I made an important shift. And then when I got into sports psychology, it seemed like I had found my home because after 10 or 12 years, I didn't make a switch. I stayed in and I remained in the uh, sports psych field for over 25 years. Do you think there was any particular reason why it was every 10 to 12 years? I don't know of any particular reason. Uh, I know that as a kid, I was frequently restless. Uh, But of course, it wasn't every 10 to 12 years. I I, I think it was my rhythm of wanting something new. So when you say you were restless as a kid, do you kind of mean that you just had this this like energy and you were always, you know, excited or moving around? Yeah. So actually it's it's funny you mentioned that because it reminds me of there's there's actually a I'll I'll read a quote of yours uh, from something that that you wrote uh and it was from 2014, so about 5 years ago as of as of the time that we're we're talking. And you'd said that yeah, well I'll I'll start the quote. You said that uh, I was a chubby kid, <laughs> and I played fullback with a fierce determination to get that extra yard. And you were referencing playing, uh, you know, playing in the yard with with the the neighborhood kids or the boys. And you said what I did not know then, but observed repeatedly over the ensuing years, was that both in sport and my professional life, I was intensely competitive, and I not only had an inner drive for excellence to be the best that I could be, but also a hidden desire to be first and better than anyone else. So it makes me think of that. And the question that I have in, in reading that is where do you think that energy and all that drive came from? Have you just always had that? I, I have, I have some information about that. I have I had a brother who was only a year older than me. And, and we were always competing, and he was always winning. And so I was fiercely competitive internally. So I always wanted to be better than originally him, but then it became anyone. <laughs> so do you think that you could owe some of your success and, and credit some of that to, to having an older brother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I'll, I'm going to bring us back to, so we were wrapping up, you, you were finishing up sci- psychiatry, and now we're moving into what seems like your new home and where you spent the, the, 
the longest time any stretch of your career in which was the field of sports psychology and i think it was at the age of 65 is when you officially got into the field yeah exactly okay and so well the the reason i bring that up bert is because i think that's the age when most people <laughs> are hanging it up retiring winding down yeah but you were you were just getting started on a new career yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was at any point, did you, did you ever feel like, you know, it's too late for me or, you know, it's, it's too late to start something new? No, I didn't. I, I just pursued my interest and then it turned out to be 25 years. I had no way of knowing that in advance. Hearing you say that, it makes it, it sounds like you were so focused on just the pursuit or the process or the, the present moment that you didn't really, it seems like almost like you didn't really even pick your head up to look that far ahead to, to even be bothered with, you know, planning out a career path or any, yeah, any big right. goals. That wasn't an issue for me. How did you stay so focused in, in just the, <laughs> the present moment and not get distracted by, you know, what other people are doing or what other people are saying? Well, I worked hard at being present at staying focused, at keeping in mind what it is I wanted at at the time. How did you do that? How did you, what did you do when you say you, you worked hard? What I'm trying to think back to what I did. Uh, it wasn't so much what I did as what I thought and felt. Uh, it seemed important, seemed very important to me to be aware of my present experience. And how did you how did you come to realize that? Do you think it was just your your training that you had as a you know in psychiatry and as a physician and you know all your experience up to that point? Well, in addition to my formal career, hmm. I was also pursuing an in, interest in in self exploration. Uh, I used to go to many workshops and weekends and got very interested in present experience rather than past history or future possibilities. What, what, do, you, what do you think is so, I'm curious, kind of what is so um, appealing or what draws you into the present moment so much more than, I mean, if you, if you look at other people in society today, it's, it would seem like so many people are wrapped up in the past or in the future, and yet it seems like you're so wrapped up in the present. That's true. What makes that stand out? I think that's where I found my aliveness. That's what was so appealing about it. Can you define, what do you mean by aliveness? Uh, aliveness, I'm here. It's right now. I'm in the moment. There's a certain remoteness if I'm talking about the past or about the future. But in the moment, you're not talking about the moment, you're in it. Mm. It almost seems like it's richer instead of like looking at a painting or a picture, you're in, you're in the picture. Yeah, that's what I mean by aliveness. Wow. So this... It seems like that's what's carried you through a lot of, you know, your decision making and the thoughts and feelings you've experienced. 
but also there's this there's something that I want to touch on, and it's you know you first you pursued the career as becoming a, a, a physician, and then you moved into psychiatry and then sports psychology, and and even at 65 starting a brand new career, something you hadn't explored before. There seems to be this desire for something new, and this you know always wanting to to explore something new. What do you like that? It keeps popping up, and I'm wondering like what do you think? that is is it the same drive from when you were a kid playing in the streets or well that that i remember from childhood i was always curious how things worked as a matter of fact i remember oh very early when we were visiting relatives and my mother gave me my jacket and it felt heavy and what was in the jacket was a doorknob and I had taken the doorknob off to see how it works and didn't have time to figure out how to put it back on. So I put it in my coat. <laughs> what, what happened next? Was that the end of the story? Uh, I, I was certainly questioned, probably, probably reprimanded, but not terribly strongly. So if I would it be fair to to label that as just curiosity? You just always had a sense of curiosity. In intense curiosity and in how things worked. You know, hearing that I think it makes sense because I also read that you in in sports psychology after you'd started that that career path, you said that you'd eventually read more than 60 books about sports psychology or running and and you know, and, and even in your in your writing or in the way you share your stories, um, you know, any mention of, of a mistake or a potential failure, <laughs> it seems like it's always accompanied with the words, you know, lesson learned. And it just seems that you, you appear to be a lifelong student and you're always learning. So I'm wondering, like, how important do you think that's been for you to have had the career and the life that you've had? Well, it's accurate to say I'm a lifelong student. I'm always learning and looking to learn, to understand, to explain. That curiosity really stirs me on. And do you think that that's been important then for your for your success or for for everything that you've done? I do. Uh, well. For my, for my determination, whether I have success or not, I think depends upon whether that approach appeals to others. Hmm. What, so what do you mean by, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. When I first started out, my concept of success was having a lot of patience and making a good income, and that shifted. So I just want to, just to, to clarify for people listening, when you say first starting out, you mean in your career as a? As a psychiatrist. So as a psychiatrist, you wanted to have lots of patients or, or clients and, and an income, and then since then you, you were starting to say it shifted. Yeah, and, and when I got into sports psychology, my idea of success was... Uh, being able to reach out and uh, teach and help 
and if I got good feedback, that was success. When do you, when do you think that that shift happened for you? When I went from psychiatry to psych, sports psychology. So when you made the career change, it happened almost simultaneously. Um, yeah. But what, well, so why do you think that shift happened for you? Was that a conscious decision or did it just, just happen? No, no. It came about when you were asking me about what's my definition of success. And I realized that it changed with my career. I didn't plan that or think that. So just through reflection, it was something that you just noticed. It seems like it's just something that happened Yeah, on its own. Correct. Well, actually, I guess since, since, you, since you brought that up, I, maybe I'll ask now. Usually, you know, I, I wait till the end of the episode, but I think since we're on it right now, I'll ask if you, if you had to say what your definition of success was today for not just a specific career, but, but in life in general, what your, your definition of success is, what would you say? Today, the recognition of success is being acknowledged for the contributions I've made to the field I'm in. And the more I, I see and hear that acknowledgement, the more successful I feel. So it sounds like, if I'm hearing you right, the acknowledgement and the, it sounds like your definition is dependent on almost, it's almost dependent on the present moment and where you're at. It's related. It's not totally dependent, but it's certainly closely related to what I'm doing in the moment. Remember, the present is a moment, but. Those moments are quickly adding up, quickly adding up, so that there become several moments that are present. And when when my overall sense of my present is, I should say, acknowledged, recognized, that feels very good. That's that's successful. Do you think is it challenging at all though to have to have the the word acknowledgement as part of your definition of success? Well, I'll give you an example. When I'm teaching, I'm not thinking of acknowledgement. I'm focused on the content of what I'm discussing. After that, when I get the feedback from students and colleagues, then the concept of success comes into it. But while I'm in doing the work, I'm not occupied with success. You're just doing the work. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that would definitely help. I would imagine at least that it would help. Uh, someone be more successful if they weren't preoccupied with whether or not they were successful while they, <laughs> while they were trying to get the work done. Absolutely. Absolutely right. So I, I, and I actually, and so thinking of that, I want to bring it back to uh, make it a little bit more practical for, for people listening. And one of the questions that I had was, 
I, I remember reading that you, when you first became a sports psych practitioner, uh, you decided not to charge originally for your, for your services. And it seemed like you explained that that was a freeing experience for you and you were able to give back to others and you felt good about that. But for people, for people who are just starting out, what would you say to someone who isn't maybe in a position where they can afford to do that? They have rent to pay or loans to pay back. And how can they gain traction like you did without offering free services? Right. Well, that is a pre- practical problem. Uh, so the answer I would give is, well, find something that can provide you income and allow you the luxury of giving free time for something that you were really interested in. So I had my basic practice in psychiatry. I was able to go to a local track team coach and said, I'm interested in coming to work with the team and I'd like to offer this without charge for now. And of course, he took it. Well, and hearing you say that, though, you still had the psychiatry practice going. Yeah. And, I think, and even today, if I'm not mistaken, you still are meeting with uh, some patients. Is that right? Two or three a week. So it's still carrying you through even today. And and it sounds like that that, uh, that business that you'd built allowed you to be in that position to be able to, to offer free sports psych services. Yeah. Yeah. So even though sports psych felt like it was home for you, you were still spending a decent amount of time, at least in, in working in psychiatry to, to provide income. That's correct. Was that kind of, uh, was there any dissonance there? Or did it feel like your, your passion wasn't lined up with, with your career or did you feel pulled in different directions? Was that, was that difficult to manage? Like it was a lot to juggle? No, it seemed, seemed like partners. My psychiatric career and income provided the opportunity to get involved in sports psych without charging. They went together. They weren't in conflict with each other. So I am, it almost feels like you were, you were grateful then for having, having the two and have, sure. having it set up. Sure. Did you, ever, did you ever feel like you wanted to just have one or the other, or you really liked them together, having both of them? I certainly didn't have the desire to do only psychiatry. Uh, I, I think I would have done well if I did only sports psychology, but it wouldn't have provided me with the practical income. Something else that, uh, I think it was Ken Revisa that you mentioned, said that to when he first got started, uh, he said, don't expect too much <laughs> in your first year. Yeah. Ken Revisa, for those uh, who aren't, uh, who are listening, who aren't from the sports psych field, is, was, is another uh, legend, another um, professional who recently passed, uh, but was a leader in the field of sports psychology and was someone who was a, a colleague, a friend, a mentor of yours. And when he said that to you, um, it seemed like up and up until that point, was it, was it frustrating at all for you that, that you were, were doing all this work and, and not, 
not getting paid for it. And, and even I think you'd said when you first started out with the, it was a track and field uh, team that you were working with locally, you were just helping out timing laps and assisting at practice. It wasn't even for a year later that you actually started doing real sports psych work. It wasn't frustrating. It was, it was, uh, it was just a practical way of getting started. I didn't feel frustrated because it seemed to be working. If I wasn't going into it for income, then what I was getting out of it was what I wanted. Contact, opportunity. It was, a, it was an opening. So I wasn't frustrated. Another, another quote that I have of yours um, that I want to read is... Uh, is, is from the same chapter that you shared with me um, and from a sports psych uh, book that you contributed to. And it reads, you'd written, at the beginning of a new career, there's often a mixture of excitement and anxiety, the excitement of venturing into something unknown and the fear that comes with not knowing enough. And afterwards, you recommended that students should learn from teachers and coaches and books and journals and fellow students, and especially from their own experiences. And to summarize that, you, you basically you said you should be present, be open, and be curious. And originally when I read that, I thought, you know, but what's next? Like, what if you, you want to go into the, you know, take it to the next level or advance your career? But then, you know, I actually, I thought, Maybe maybe I should be asking first, should you ever not be a student? Should you ever not be learning? I don't think so. I don't remember exactly when I believed this, but at some point in my career, uh, I learned that whatever came before was part of what is now. So if you took a, a career change, a uh, shift in direction, that gets incorporated in the flow of the process of learning. So you may not be where you are, where you want to be, but on the way to where you want to be, and that counts. Counts, counts towards what? Counts toward satisfaction rather than frustration so it seems like even even small or incremental progress should count towards the overall experience of getting to where you want to go yeah and even if it doesn't seem like progress i'm saying it's part of the journey what would you say to someone who maybe is 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 making progress, it doesn't feel like progress, and they never actually get to where they had intended to go. Is it still progress? They never get there? They never get there. Or at least, I mean, you don't know until until the end, I guess, but <laughs> where they're at, it seems like they're not there yet. Oh, that, that's a big difference. Okay. Uh, I'm not there yet. It's different from I'll never get there. One is a statement of the present. The other is a prediction of the future. I'm not there yet as a statement of the present. I'll never get there 
is a prediction of the future, and that's loaded with trouble. The the latter is so the the, the prediction is is yeah. troublesome. Yeah. So it seems like that's an important distinction to make. Why would it? Why do you think? Why would you say it's important to avoid uh, the prediction part? Well, first of all, it's negative, and secondly, it's it's limiting. How do you know you'll never get there? Yeah, that's a good question to ask. <laughs> I guess it would depend on on. It probably depends on the situation and the circumstances. And actually, it reminds me of there's a one of the questions that we had from uh, from some of your previous students uh, from the athletic counseling program at Springfield College. One of the questions that we had, I feel like it kind of is what we're touching on, which is um, they had asked if if what advice you'd give to somebody who's facing, you know, different challenges and obstacles um, that are getting in the way of pursuing, you know, their career or a passion. And to give you some context, potential challenges or obstacles might be starting a family or moving, having to move for, for a job to provide income or a spouse's job or discrimination because of your age or your gender or your race or whatever, whatever it is. Basically, it seems like life, if, if it feels like life keeps putting obstacles between you and where you want to be in your career, then how would you handle being in that position? Uh, the view that something is in front of you is an obstacle comes from the fact that you don't view the process as continuous. So what I'm saying today is it need not be viewed as an obstacle, but as a step Along the way. So I, th- I, I imagine that some of the, and maybe where that question comes from, is that for some people it might feel like they expect their journey to get to where they want to go to take a certain amount of time. And to be smooth. And to sp- or, yeah, smooth or a straight line. And it seems like that's usually not the case. Why do you think we still have those expectations? And I mean, did you ever have an expectation of getting through school faster maybe or getting getting more clients faster or building a business faster? Or- uh, I might have. I don't remember exactly putting it in those terms, but uh, wanting to do more of what I'm doing, yeah, but that wouldn't be an obstacle if, if I'm not there yet. That would be a direction I want to go. Yeah, so it feels like what I'm hearing from you, Bert, is that at any point, if you just pull yourself back to where you are now, it becomes less of a problem and less of an obstacle and more of a diff- just a, a new information, another observation. Acceptance of where you are as part of the process. Mm. Well, speaking of accepting of, of where you are, at one point, so you'd worn all these different hats. You were a physician, psychiatrist, sports psych, and and you admitted feeling at one point you admitted feeling uncertain about what to call yourself because you weren't a psychologist, but you didn't like psychiatrist. But you know, and eventually you'd settled on the, the term I used earlier, which is sports psych practitioner. Yeah. And so nowadays, when you meet somebody, it's so common for people to say, "Oh, so what do you do?" Yeah. And and so did you ever? Did that uncertainty about what to call yourself, did that ever cause you any grief or anxiety? 
not grief and anxiety, but curiosity. When somebody asks me, what do I do? I say, well, if I'm working in sports psychology, I mostly do teaching, consult with the team, see some athletes individually. That's what I do. So you, it seems like you would actually just answer the question directly instead of coming up with, a, you know, if, if someone says, oh, well, I'm a teacher or, or I'm a, a banker or I'm a, you know, then it's a really, you just, it's a, there's a title attached to it, but you didn't really worry about the title piece. Not too much. I was curious about the title, but not too much. Hmm. Well, and so you did also say, though, that eventually you came to see yourself as more of an educator. Yeah. What, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, if I looked at my approach, what do I do as a sports psych practitioner? That whether I'm working with students or teams or individual athletes, basically I'm in the field of education. I'm doing some teaching on how they can go about their work differently. So it seems like you got your title after all, even if it was a little bit uh, unconventional. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Bert, at this point in the show uh, and on the podcast, we we usually... um, I get to having some rapid fire questions, some quick questions for you. But because I have so many uh, questions that came from some athletic counseling students that you had taught in the past, I'm going to spend this time asking some of those questions. And I'll I'll try to go through them quickly so we can get to all of them. Okay. So the first first is a little bit different, but it's the question is, what do you most enjoy doing with your downtime, your free time? What do I most enjoy? I think visiting my family. Easy enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the next question is: there, there must have been so there, there must have been times where you had self doubts or you felt burnt out earlier in your career. Yeah. So what what thoughts or self talk did you have that helped you the most to get through those times? Um, I didn't know I was burning out at the time. All I knew is I was getting kind of stale. Things weren't as sparklingly interesting. And the way I handled it is I started cutting back. So I went from 40 individual patients down to maybe 10. And I went from four evening groups down to one. And as I cut back on my work, a little more liveness came into the picture. I guess my, my own personal follow-up question is, did you, would you ever have considered yourself a workaholic? I, I didn't, but uh, I could see how others might when I was at that 40 individual and four groups. Yeah, 40, 40 is a lot, but it seems like, so I guess less, less than thoughts or, or, or self-talk, it was more the actions you took of, of cutting back. Yeah. And that's, 
that seems like that was what was most helpful for you. Maybe get a clearer picture. The next question was because you had so, so many different careers. Um, the the question was they were wondering what do you think your greatest lesson has been from each of the careers that you've had. Well, from my psychodynamic, the psychodynamic parts of psychiatry, that the past influences the present. And what what about from your medical research career? From a medical research career, do I really understand what's going on? In other words, you can describe something without it necessarily mean you fully understand it. So the medical researchers look more closely and more deeply. And and sports psychology? Related to the second, uh, that uh, it's important not to assume that you know what the athlete's experience is without fully understanding it. It's 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 awesome to hear you recap your your yeah your experiences and your lessons because it's it seems like those have made their way into the the programs and and the classes that I remember taking at Springfield College. So I, it seems like you've you've left. Uh, it seems like you've left some of those lessons on the table for, for some of the other teachers to use and to share. And I do have, I do have two questions left uh, that I'd like to ask you. Uh, I know we already got to talk about what your definition of success is, but before we get there, I do, I just want to acknowledge you for, and thank you for, for sharing yet again, some of your, your insight and your wisdom and for all that you've given to so many fields, but especially to the sports psychology field and all the students and professionals in it. And you've, you know, you've truly been an inspiration for me, um, but also so many others. And I know that I'll cherish this episode for years to come. And I'm sure that so many more will benefit from what you've shared with us so far today. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for, for taking the time. My pleasure. And so, Bert, the final two questions um, are... After three careers and dozens of publications and probably thousands of, of cons, consults that you've had at this point, what impact do you hope that you've had on others? I hope my approach has taught the importance of self-awareness and self-acceptance. Self-awareness gives you an opportunity to look at what's going on without judgment, without turning against yourself, because that can be a barrier to learning. Self-acceptance is important for the same reason, that when you judge yourself or turn against yourself, you block your understanding you come to a conclusion long before it's warranted. Those are great insights that I think would be helpful for not just, you know, up and coming students or, or professionals, but I think for anyone at any point in their lives, those are always important. And uh, 
the final the final question that I have for you, Bert, is just if someone wants to learn more from you or about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Any you know contact information or resources that that you could point them towards? Well, the second edition of my book really presents most of what I've contributed. And what's the name of that book for people who are just listening and don't know? Oh, my my work in sports psychology. And I believe they can find that on on Amazon, correct? That, that's correct. I'll make sure that uh, those are that's linked up in the in the show notes for this episode. And um, and your website is still up and running. Yeah, yeah, still up and running. And what what is your website? BertGiges dot com. B u r t g i g e s. Bert, I just I just want to say, you know, hopefully people find those resources uh, helpful, and hopefully people um, listening to this episode can can listen again and again to <laughs> to hear and make sure they really they really listen to everything that you've had uh, to to offer and to share from your own experience and your studies. And it's just I'm never disappointed anytime I talk to you with how much uh, I can learn and take away from from each conversation. So thank you so much for for coming on the on the on the show. Thank you. As always, I am in, at a loss for words at how impressive Bert Geiges is and literally every conversation I have with him or that I hear him have even, I learn so much. He's such an incredible human being. He's offered so much to so many fields and to so many people. I just, I hope that you can take everything in that he has to offer and absorb some of his wisdom that's on display in this episode. If you liked listening to Bert as much as I did, then please go ahead and share this episode with someone else that you think uh, would benefit from hearing it. If you have any comments or takeaways or questions or just even if you just want to get in touch, go ahead and send all those over to Facebook or Instagram at The Venture Life. Thank you for listening and until next time.